0: been seven weeks, it's like seven weeks ago that I preached a sermon. So this is going to be rough for you. For me, it'll just be like a great hour-long uh, memory lane. Kidding, not an hour long. Uh, seriously, though, our family is, is very thankful for the sabbatical, so I want to thank the church um, for just making that possible, and obviously the two ways. One, giving us the freedom to go, but also keeping everything running so smoothly while we were gone. I've heard every Sunday went well and in between. So I'm very thankful for that and for all of you stepping in to make that possible. Um, we were going through the book of Jonah when I left, or when I, the last time I preached, we're going to pick up Jonah. We're going to pick up Jonah for four more weeks. And as you know, the book of Jonah, you may know, is broken up into two sections. The first two chapters, deal really with his disobedience, the next two deal with his obedience and and coming and doing what God called him to do. And that's what we're going to focus on for the next four weeks. Um, And this morning, and just by the way, this is kind of funny, uh, one of the Sundays that we were home, or the only Sunday we didn't go to church because we just got back from camp, we were on Facebook Live, River Oaks, that's our sister church in Tulsa, Jonathan Doris was preaching I still have never heard Ricky Jones preach at River Oaks. He's preaching this text, Jonah chapter three. So if you don't like this sermon, it's Jonathan's fault. That's actually a joke. He did all of chapter three. He did repentance. What we're gonna do this morning, and I was trying to wrestle with what to preach on from Jonah three, and here's what I wanna do. I wanna talk about something I'm not sure I've ever talked about as a topic by itself. It's a word that when I say it, a lot of you cringe, but it's an important word, obedience. Here in this passage, we finally come to the place where Jonah does what he's supposed to do. And so I want to just spend this morning chewing on that p- p- part before we move into next week, Nineveh and the message that Jonah brings to them and their repentance as we move forward. So we're going to look at verses uh, from chapter 210 to three, verse 3a. Three there's not an official A, but that's where we're going to stop. In other words, we're going to stop with the first phrase in chapter, or verse 3 of chapter 3. And just to remind you of what's happened, Jonah uh, was told by God, go to Nineveh to, to basically tell them about the impending doom. And Jonah does the opposite, runs to Tarshish or gets on a boat. You all know the story. He ends up in the belly of a fish. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we go. A lot of you have heard that story. Right, If you haven't, BBS is this week. It's down the street. Um, But we're going to pick up with the aftermath. This fish is going to vomit up Jonah, and then God's going to re-engage Jonah. So let's look now at these verses, starting in verse 10 of chapter 2. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you are a long-suffering God, that you are a God that wants to rescue and redeem us, that you will go to great lengths to capture us to grow us, and to make us flourish. And we pray this morning, I pray that these words and what we teach would be your gospel, uh, that your spirit would be alive and working in our hearts to better understand the way you love your children. Amen. Uh, One of the things we did during our four-week sabbatical was we spent a week at a family camp. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later in the sermon with more detail. So all I want you to know right now is that one of the things I did was I did a dunk tank. I threw a ball at a dunk tank. So the dunk tanks are you know, like at carnivals, there's a guy sitting in the thing and there's a little ball, like a little lever you're trying to hit. And I'd never done that. So I thought I'm going to try this. And what I had observed was uh, no matter how old you were or how skilled you always ended by getting the guy to fall into the tank right? Which I thought was really nice. It was kind of a colder evening, like for summertime in New Mexico. And this poor guy, just no matter who came up, ended up in the tank. The reason was uh, like for me, I had to stand kind of a long way away and I threw my three throws and I missed it in all three. So I just quickly grabbed the fourth and he's like, there's only three. I threw it and nailed it. Boom. But everyone else based on their age was sort of invited to the right distance for their age. And here's the point. Uh, the setup was the equipping for success, right? They, everybody, no matter who they were, could make the person fall into the dunk tank because they were being equipped by the other counselors to succeed, right? And what we find with obedience in the Bible is you are being equipped to succeed. God is sovereignly overseeing your life in such a way that he is equipping you to succeed. And we've been seeing that in the book of Jonah. Jonah did everything he could to fail at obedience. And God captures Jonah, brings him to his senses, and gives him all the equipping he needs. And we're gonna watch him go forward with his obedience. And it's not even a great obedience, but it works. And it's all because of God's sovereignty. So the three things we're gonna look at are the the flourishing of obedience, the feel, point number two, the feel of obedience. What does it feel like to obey? And then finally, the grace of obedience. But I'm going to start with a preamble, if that's okay, a little caveat prior to point one, and that's this. When I talk about obedience, here's what I'm not talking about. You or anybody securing salvation, the only way we are saved is the blood of Christ. Jesus obeyed perfectly. And his obedience is the only basis by which we are ever immeasured by God for salvation. So what I'm now talking about is something a little bit different. I'm talking about the Christian's response, the sanctification that you all learned about at Carnot the response to what Jesus has done and what we do with that now. What does our life look like now that his obedience has been applied to us We've been justified by faith, right? Now what do we do? Waiting for glory. What does life look like? And that's where we get these three points based on Jonah. And I want to start by talking about the flourishing of obedience. Um, in the very beginning of our passage of our book, Jonah, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. Because it reveals God is a loving God. God is a rescuing God, right? For Jonah, that obedience felt dangerous. But the truth is, it was a beautiful thing. Like if you were a Ninevite, you want Jonah to obey, right? If you're the Ninevite who's about to be like turned to ash and God, you found out God had called somebody to come send a gospel message to you, you want him to obey so you would flourish. Does that make sense? So obedience leads to flourishing. The Westminster Confession of Faith, question one, what is the chief end of man? Who wants to say it out loud right now? Yes, what is, the, what is the chief end of man? Amen, let's clap for that. All right, that's very good. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Please, here's what I want you to hear right now. There's a tendency for us to think obedience and flourishing are separate. What I hope we'll start to believe in, and I want you to know, it's gonna be a challenge for some of you. I believe that. It's hard for me at times. That what we find in scripture is that when we glorify God, when we enjoy him forever, we flourish as well. That's not the motive, but that's what happens. And for God to tell Jonah to go to Nineveh is actually to save not only Nineveh, But what else? We've been talking about this the whole time. To save Jonah. Uh, I use this illustration, I'm gonna use it again, uh, Saving Mr. Banks. The reason I get to use it a second time is I watched the movie a second time. We just watched it with my my family had not seen the movie. Saving Mr. Banks is about um, P.L. Travers who wrote Mary Poppins. Uh, did not want Disney to make the movie. She did not want him to ruin her books. She's played by Emma Thompson. It's a great movie. And Disney's played by um, Tom Hanks. I'm starting to lose my memory. Thank you. She knew it was coming too, didn't you? And Tom Hanks, Disney, is trying to win the rights to make this movie. And they're getting places, they're getting somewhere, but she's really being difficult. It's a great movie. And so there's this scene where She's working with the guys that write the music, which she doesn't even want music. Um, They're trying to make it all fluffy. She's like, it's not fluffy. You know, it's not. And finally, Tom Hanks, who's Disney, says this. says, let me get this straight. You don't want there to be any fantasy in a movie where a woman rides an umbrella out of the sky to rescue children. And when he delivers that line, you're like, aha. And she goes, oh, you think that. She came, Mary Poppins, to rescue the children. She came to rescue Mr. Banks, the man, the father. That's what the story is about. So here's the point. We read Jonah and we think God loves Nineveh. God came in and he's going to rescue the Ninevites, and it's true. But he's rescuing Jonah. And I want you to know that when you are asked by the word of God to do something, it's God rescuing you. God is saying, I want you to flourish this is not punishment. I am coming to you with Scripture, so that you would hear my words and flourish. God wants you to be transformed and flourish by obeying Psalm 1. Uh, every every month I start over at the very beginning, so I get Psalm 1 re- really, really well. And then, you know, halfway through the month, you know, best laid plans. Um, but Psalm 1. Those of you that haven't memorized, I should probably ask people to read it. It's a beautiful way to begin the psalter. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law that is in the word in the scripture of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Do you have that view of God? Does he delight in you and do you flourish when you move toward him because I want if nothing else for this sermon if all you could leave with is this one notion is this God doesn't want you to obey to prove anything he wants you to be abiding and moving toward him obedience is for your relationship and my relationship with our father to strengthen which creates flourishing so application for point one Jonah had a very particular sin that God knew about, and the calling to go to Nineveh exposed it. What is your sin? And we're going to go around the room now. Let we'll start back with Charles. I'm just kidding. He's like, don't look at me. Go through the seven deadly sins. I mean, however you want to do it. What, go through Scripture. Where are you? Is it greed? Is it lust? Is it envy? Is it pride? If you don't think it's the first six, then it's pride, Right? Like, that's it, I got through six and I don't have any of these. Oh, it's pride. Where are you struggling? What particular area are you sort of afraid that if you give it to God, you will fall apart? Because whatever, it's it's two sides of a coin. See, Jonah is not neutral. He doesn't just say, I'm not gonna go to Nineveh. He goes the opposite way. So our sin will often show and reveal the very thing we're running from and not flourishing in, the, the obedience we need to have. For example, if it's lust, are you trusting God for your sexuality? If it's greed, are you trusting God for your, for your financial security? you see what I'm saying? So flourishing comes with obedience. But what I want to do now is spend a few moments to tell you how it feels. How does obedience feel based on what we're studying in Jonah? And let's look at these, uh, the verses here. The reason I had to teach on this is it's, I think, very pronounced, right? The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. And the message that I tell you, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. He did it. He obeyed. And we need to pay attention to that. So what does that feel like? Um... There's a few quotes in the front of your worship guide I want to just draw our attention to. But before I do, I need to say this. There is a theology that has swept through our culture that I have been personally gripped by at times. It's easy to do, and it's half-truth, and that's this. If your heart is not engaged in obedience, is it true obedience? And so we have a culture uh, so take, for example, the scripture, you know, where Jesus calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, right? Basically, the outer side of your religion looks polished, but your heart is far from me. Think of Isaiah, right? They honor me with their lips, right? There's this sense in which the scriptures are very clear. If we're not obeying with our hearts as well as our conduct, it's not full obedience. But I want to contrast that with the fact that obedience doesn't always feel like what you want to be doing. There's a difference between somebody trying to put on a good show to look religious, inside they're clearly not and they know it, and somebody else who's simply not quite yet feeling the desire to obey. Does that make sense? No one's ever going to just go, no. Does anyone want to shake their head no? Don't do it. Let's look at these two quotes. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, every moment and every situation challenges us to action and to obedience. We have literally no time to sit down and think about it. We must get into action and obey. But perhaps this shocks you. Perhaps you still believe you ought to think out beforehand and know what you ought to do. To that, there is only one answer. You can only know and think about it by actually doing it. You can only learn what obedience is by obeying. Look at Oswald Chambers, he says, all of God's revelations are sealed until they are opened to us by obedience. You'll never get them open by philosophy or thinking or thinking. Immediately if you obey, a flash of light comes. Obey God and the thing he shows you, and instantly the next thing is opened up. I'm going to stop the quote there. This feels, I, I can already sense it, a bit heavy because it sound, when we think of obedience, we think in terms of completion, perfect completion. But when you look at Jonah, all he did was go. He arose, he went. When you read through chapter three, which we'll do more next week, in chapter four as well, he didn't want to do it. Uh, you get the sense that he was almost like, uh, he was upset about having to do it, but yet nonetheless, by going through those steps, God used the obedience and revived Nineveh for a, for a season. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples. The classic is the karate kid, right? How do you learn karate? You want to read a book? Or do you want to, like, trim a bonsai tree, right, and wash classic cars, right? W- wax on, wax off. Here's, a, here's another example that's from my personal life. And let me first say this. I I'm a book person, and by that I don't mean I'm well-read. I mean when I want to learn something, I get a book. It's really a like. If I want to learn to blow my nose better, I'm like, is there a book on Amazon about that? And then I look at the reviews, and then I've got a book, and then I read it, but I don't apply it. But it feels like I've done it. So we were invited to go to family camp, a family who uh, used to be a part of our, this congregation, said, we, we, we had a great time at this family camp. We want to provide this for you. You don't have to go. You can use the money other ways. But if you do go, we think you'd love it. It was very restful, we were told. So we signed up to family camp. And uh, just so you know, family camp's like normal camp, except they realize, well, let's, let's make more money by having families come out. We've got all the stuff you know so there's high school kids and junior high school, all these people get dropped off but now there's these in this little section there's a family and you have it at Canacuck you have it in Colorado I know the Niles go to one in Colorado this one is near Santa Fe it's called Glorieta and we get there and there was a carnival for dinner and we were kind of like carnival like like what are we going to eat it's just it's like it's like a tr- the whole thing's a trust fall That's the whole thing's like what's our food where's the bed how do we get around? Uh, but what we were really convinced of, I don't know that this family told us this, we were t- thinking, um, we're going to get a lot of time to read and process and pray and study. Our kids are going to just run off magically and we're going like, to have like, just time to meditate. And the kids didn't do that. <laughs> and the, Anyway. And so then we had to get kind of dirty and like go to things. So we showed up to... It's worship, and our kids had already said, we're not gonna go to the groups, we're not doing that. But then the way it worked out was like, no, you go with your group, and you go with your group, and they ended up loving it, and we loved our group. By day two, I'm like, I kinda like family camp. Um, I think it was day three, I rode a mountain bike. Okay, just, just for the record, if you ever said, hey, let's go ride a mountain bike, I'm gonna say no, like nicely, I'll figure out a way. Like I don't typically do stuff like that. Uh, I don't know what it is, I need a book. But at family camp, it's like, there's the garage, you walk in, you put the helmet on, you get a bike, it's in good shape. You get on it, they teach you how to do gears. You follow a guide, you go up to the mountain, and you ride a trail. I know you like the mountain bike, Scott, it's, and now I know why. It's like, I came back an hour and a half later, and Emily I was like, how was it? Thinking I would probably died. I was like, I'm alive. Like, it was amazing. And I I mean, here I am trying to process why. One of the reasons is I think when you mountain bike, literally, you can die. And so that does something to the body. But you have to focus so much on what you're doing that you're like, your body is able to relax. And I began to recognize the truths and the statements I was told at how relaxing this was. So I don't want to spend this entire sermon telling you about family camp. What I want you to hear me say is this. That's what obedience feels like, okay? I never once wondered, am I passing? Am I in? Right? This year at the CrossFit Games, for those that watch, like I think just Mark is the only one, maybe Rhonda. Uh, Maybe Chris, you into the CrossFit Games? They did something different this year where they cut. You had 100 people make the CrossFit Games. These are the like the crazy elite people, and used to, they all went through all these competitions. Well, now it's like after one event, you're gone. 50, the next event, you're gone. They whittle it down to 10 people. But now that you're in the top 10, they would interview like, they interviewed one of the female athletes after she didn't do so great at one of the events. But she said, the pressure is off. I'm in. Like I made it. Now I just want to perform. That's the gospel. You're in. You're at the camp. You're on the bike. In fact, you didn't have to go on the bike. Some of my kids didn't do the bike. That was fine, too. You're in. Now, God is saying, jump on and let's go forward and see what this is all about. What does obedience look like? Coming to church. I mean, for some of you, and I mean, really for all of us, just to get ourselves here. And I'm not trying to be funny. That's like kind of a big deal, culturally speaking, right? It's becoming a bigger deal. But yet you get here and through liturgy and worship and prayer and singing and hopefully the sermon a little, um, you feel the, the love of Jesus. And you're like, ah, I needed that. And I want to remind you that Jonah, his sin was against people. Most of our sins, ultimately, really all of them, are against people. We aren't loving our neighbor well. right? Whether it's greed, lust, whatever it's seven, whatever sin it is, And what I want to encourage you to do as you think about the feel of obedience is to ask yourself, how are you loving people? Are you in a small group? Do you have someone close to you? Have you invited your neighbor over? Do you know your neighbor's name? I live next door to Denny Toole. It took us six months. No, he came over right away. He came over right away. But do we know our neighbors? I I do. I back out thinking, I need to talk to Denny more. Um, Take that step. Right? Who who do who are you sharing your life with? When we have a work day at church or any kind of an awkward event where you're like, I don't do I don't I don't do copper stripping. Go, show up. I don't no one does that. Right? Unless you're weird or a thief. <laughs> and if you are the thief, we could use your services just I think this is one of the number one areas we procrastinate in, is, oh, I'll start building friendships later, and then we're lonely, and we don't know what, when, when you get to that stage of loneliness, it's, it feels very late in the game, right? Begin to obey by taking that step that you don't feel like taking. I hope point two makes sense. Point one, Flourishing. But God wants us to flourish in our obedience. Point two, the feel of obedience is it doesn't feel good until you, like you can't do it until you do it. And even while you're doing it, you're not good at it. I started trying to draw again. We need to talk, Brent. And I feel bad. Like all it does is lets me know how bad I am. But I want to keep doing it because it doesn't measure me. It doesn't evaluate me, right? So that's the second point. But I want to bring up the third and I think the most crazy amazing point of this scenario with Jonah, and that is the grace of obedience. Um, I'm going to just remind you of what just happened. Jonah, who is a professional prophet, was called on. He was tagged, you know. I talked about the born phone calls when the guys are like in a meeting and they get the call and they just walk away like, this is the call. Like, God phoned Jonah, The flip phone opens up and it says, Go to Nineveh. This is what you've been trained for. And he goes the opposite way. Failure. Epic failure. You're done. You might get to go to heaven, but you're definitely not going to be a prophet. That's what we would think. After his repentance, even. Thank you for repenting. Thank you for chapter two. Thank you for lamenting. You're still never going to be a prophet again. You're done. I'll do you, here's God, I'll do you a a solid and I'll have this fish vomit you out, but you're done. Chapter three. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Calvin says this. There is here set before us a remarkable proof of God's grace that he was pleased to bestow on Jonah his former dignity and honor. He was indeed unworthy of the common light but God not only restored him to life, but favored him again with the office and honor of a prophet. So often we struggle with obedience because of failure. I did it again. I did that thing again. I looked at that thing again. I said those words again. I did this. And what we eventually do is we say, God cannot forgive that. And we reform him in our own image, which Jonah had done in the beginning. And we basically come to the conclusion that either God's wrong and this is normal behavior or I'm just a dud and there's no hope for me. I'm just one of those that won't ever get past this. And the gospel says, yes, you can. God will rescue you. God will redeem you. But the goal is to not, here's our problem with obedience. So many of us want to get to where we obey something not to get closer to God, but to keep him at bay. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like how many of you think if I could get my act together, I wouldn't need Jesus as much? Like we don't think it like that. But that if you really look at your motives, so often our reason for wanting to get better is to not feel sinful. I don't want to feel sinful, but I am a sinner and I will need the blood of Christ every day as if it was the first day I ever received it, until glory. And I don't think when I get to heaven I'm gonna quit needing Jesus. I don't know exactly what that's gonna look like. But we need to enter this understanding that we will constantly be needing the blood of Christ. Sins are forgiven, and I believe in progressive sanctification. We do, in the, in the eyes of the world and even the eyes of the church and ourselves, we can see improvement But the point I'm making is, if our goal for obedience is to get to that place where all of our I's are dotted, all of our T's are crossed, and Jesus is sort of, justification is sitting on the shelf. It was a beautiful thing in 1982 and I needed it. Then we have a problem with our theology. It is fresh every day. And so we find Jonah, and we find grace, and we find God saying, I have rescued you, I've brought you three days to the belly of this fish. You are now vomited out. Uh, I don't know if the fish lived through that. I've never heard a commentator say, but it kind of we imagine the fish just kind of spit him out and went on its lovely way. Probably it died. I don't know. But Jonah was saved. And now he goes and he obeys. What is your goal for obedience? I just want to read you this quote um, by one of my my heroes, spiritual heroes, Jack Miller. And he's talking about being in Christ. And and really what I'm trying to press us to understand is obedience is not doing something right. It's pressing into Christ. It's pressing into the Father's love, right, with the presence of of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jack Miller's testimony actually, interestingly, um, well into being a seminary professor and pastor, he he sort of tongue in cheek said, I became Trinitarian. What he means is, of course, I theologically believed in the Holy Spirit, but I lived functionally as if there was no Holy Spirit. But obedience, necessarily, and by the definition the scripture gives, is done by the work of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit. So listen to this, what he writes. You can only pray with joy when you know Christ and make yourself his servant and understand that others belong. I'm on the wrong one. Start over? Those are great words. So if you heard those words and they were moving you, I will tell you why I found them. I found them on August the 3rd. But here's the August the 4th entry. Sorry. (laughs) It's been seven weeks. Jesus is a strange teacher. When he says something strange, most of us have the habit of turning him off. He's always a bit too much, goes too far, and seems too extreme. But Jesus didn't just give us a body of writings and authority. He is a life-giving spirit. He is actively seeking to put his words into our hearts. To cause us to live out these unexpected things that show God has intruded from the outside. He is continually working to get us to see this world and our lives through his eyes. The strangeness has a wonderful sanity to it that makes life bearable, livable, and enjoyable. Obedience, hear this, is only done in Jesus. You will never do it on your own. There is no, I was talking to Emily just the other day, and she, about the church, sorry, and about me and about just thoughts on my mind. She said, right, I only, the only pronoun I heard was I. I do that I. She's like, remember, and so I'm embarrassing you right now, but we, not she and I, the Holy Spirit in me, right? Like whatever you are called to do, whatever garden God has given you to grow and flourish in, he is going ahead of you. It's laughable when you read the book of Jonah, that his work had any fruit because God did all of it. So our job is just to get on that mountain bike and try not to fall off, but if we start to fall, he'll catch us. He is taking care of your flourishing. He is taking care of the obedience. Faithfully walk with him. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, forgive us for so often living as if you are not the one in our lives steering us, driving us at all times flourishing in us Jesus forgive us for so often wanting to have a religion that tries to impress you but doesn't abide in you because Lord abiding in you means trust and that's hard it's hard to trust and not know where everything's going. And so we, we crave control. We crave approval. We crave so many things that you have called us to lay down at your feet. Holy Spirit, would you work mightily in this congregation to be a people who abide in you. Teach us to love to take risks to love our neighbors, to get to know people, to share meals, to share hurts, to listen well, to live life together for your glory. Amen.